This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. This podcast is sponsored by viewers like you on Patreon through PayPal donations with YouTube memberships and Twitch subscriptions. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member by clicking the join button underneath any one of our videos on YouTube. Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. Do you believe they should allow white nationalists in the military? Well, they call them that. I call them American. You just listened to Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville defend white nationalists in the U.S. military, which is a serious problem for those unaware. And it's a problem that has been officially acknowledged by the Biden administration, the Department of Defense, and even military personnel themselves. According to a Military Times poll, one third of active duty members saw signs of racism and or white supremacy in their ranks. So as a U.S. senator, if your response to that problem is, well, you know, you call them white nationalists. I just call them Americans. I think that it's reasonable for people to interpret that as a defense of white nationalists in the U.S. military, as a defense of white nationalists in general. But in response to that, I guess we'll call it yikes comments, uh, he was asked to clarify his comments. And you could say that we definitely have more clarity now after listening to him speak more but it's not because he changed what he said. He said the same exact thing, but let's listen. Do you want to explain those comments, Senator? Yeah, first of all, uh, I'm totally against any type of racism, okay? I was a football coach for 40 years, and I dealt uh, and, and had opportunity to be around more minorities than anybody up here on this hill. Uh, but when our military has been attacked, was being attacked after 9-11, after January the 6th, and that was my first day on the Senate floor, I thought it was, I thought it was outrageous of what senators from the Democratic side, Chuck Schumer sat on the floor that night, calling out people, calling people racist, calling people nationalist, white nationalist. White nationalist is just another word that they want to use other than racism. Uh, I'm totally against anything to do with racism. But the thing about being a white nationalist is just a cover word for the Democrats now where they can use it to try to make people mad across the country, identity politics. I'm totally against that. But I'm for the American people. I'm for military. I'm for Christian conservatives, Democrats, whoever wants to be in the, uh, the, the military to fight for this country, to protect this country. That's what it's all about. But just to be clear, you agree that white nationalists should not be serving in the U.S. military. Is that what you're saying? If, if people think that a white nationalist is a racist, I agree with that. I agree they should A white shouldn't. nationalist is someone who believes that the white race is superior to other races. Well, that, that's some people's opinion. Uh, and I don't think, that's I mean, a lot. Uh, pardon? What's your opinion? My opinion of a white nationalist, if somebody wants to call him white nationalist, to me is an American. It's an American. Now, if that white nationalist is a racist, I'm totally against anything that they want to do because I am 110% against racism. But I want somebody that's in our military, that's strong, that believes in this country, that's an American, that will fight along anybody, whether it's a man or woman, black or white, red, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, and, and so I'm a, totally against identity politics. I think it's ruining this country, and I think that Democrats ought to be ashamed for how they're doing this, 
because it's dividing this country and it's making this country weaker every day. Now, there's more, but let's just stop there because we need to parse this out a little bit because he's saying a lot. So what he's saying is if a white nationalist whose default position, by the way, is that the white race is superior to all other races happens to be racist, then that's bad. But so long as the white nationalist is not racist, then that's okay. I mean, what's next? Are libs going to say that everyone in the KKK is racist too? Is everyone not safe from this identity politics? I can't even say it with a straight face because what he's saying here is so absurd on its face that there's no way that you can be any more charitable than just deducing that he's racist, period. Now, I'm also, uh, I'm very relieved to know that he's personally not racist with the evidence being that he was around minorities as a football coach. Well, that's definitive. <laughs> There's nothing else that you can uh, say about it after that. That to me confirms beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's not racist because as we all know, by definition, when you're within the proximity of non-white people, racism is literally dispelled from your body at a rate of 1% per hour. But you see, the main problem is that he is against identity politics. So that's really what this is all about. The problem is that white nationalism is identity politics. It's just white identity politics. So the question is, should the military allow for that type of white identity politics, knowing that it could cause internal turmoil? Well, he's not going to be very clear about that. But amid the wishy-washiness and evasive answers, what he's saying does come into focus. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. One more short clip from this interview. But that that's not identity politics. You said a white nationalist is an American. It is identity politics. You said a white nationalist is an American, but a white nationalist is someone who who believes horrific things. You don't do you really think that's someone who should be serving in the military? Well, that's just a name that has been given. I mean, it's not uh, it's listen. a real it's a real definition. There's real concerns about So if about you're going to do away with most white people in this country out of the military, we got huge problems. It's not we it's got not huge problems. it's not people who are white, it's white nationalists. That have a few probably you see different the beliefs. Right? That have that have different beliefs. Now, if racism is one of those beliefs, I'm totally against it. I am totally against racism. But, but that there's is, a lot that of people white, that believe in different things. Is racist, Senator? Well, that, that's your opinion. That's it, your opinion. But if it's racism, opinion. if it's racism, I'm totally against it. I am totally against any type of race, any any type of racism. I don't care what it's in. So he concedes that maybe white nationalists have a few different beliefs, but he won't say what those beliefs are specifically and whether or not he agrees with them. And I think that that's on purpose. So what is he actually trying to say? Right. Because he's racist. That's pretty clear, but he doesn't want to just come out and say it, right? So it seems like what he's trying to say is, no, 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 racism means that you just hate minorities, but being a white nationalist means that you have a love of and preference for white people and think that they should have their own ethno state, but you can have that belief simultaneously while not hating minorities. I mean, is that what he's trying to say? Because if that is indeed the case, to think that non-white people should be excluded from government from your ethno state that is inherently hateful but it's hard to get into the mind of this hateful bigot and what he's saying sounds contradictory and like we're splitting hairs because i mean we are internally i'm sure that uh he's probably much more clear right but this sort of muddying of the waters is an effort by racists like him to normalize white nationalism and white supremacy and 
the thing is that by him not being clear, he's giving us a clear answer, right? You just have to kind of read between the lines. If he wanted to be more clear, he would have done that by now, but he's not being more clear. He was asked the same question again, and his answer did not change. So we're gonna watch that along with some commentary from CNN. And uh, I think that their commentary here is important because I think that it's necessary for commentators to make deductions because the audience might not necessarily connect, you know, from point A to B, but just make that leap for them because it's pretty obvious we have more than enough evidence. Explain why you continue to insist that white nationalists are American. Listen, I'm totally against racism. And if the Democrats want to say that white nationalists are racist, I'm totally against that too. But that's okay. not a democratic definition. The definition of a white nationalist well, is someone... Well, that's your definition. My definition <laughs> it is, is the racism definition. bad. The definition, the definition is that the Next belief question. that the white race is superior is to all other races. totally out of the question. So do you Next believe question. that white nationalists are racist? Yes. If that's what a racist is, yes. Thank you. But what's that is your, the definition. And he just continues to double down. And the fallout on Capitol Hill from Republicans is now that many Republicans are being asked by reporters, are white nationalists racist? And I talked to several Republicans, including Rick Scott of Florida, who said, absolutely, that is the definition of a white nationalist, that they believe that the white race is superior to other races. You also heard from John Thune, who I spoke to just moments ago. He is the Republican whip, and he was pressed by Re reporters whether or not he was going to talk directly to Tuberville about his comments. He said he had no idea what Tuberville was actually trying to say. He said, just to be clear, though, there is no room for white nationalists in the Republican Party. I pressed him on whether or not there was room for white nationalists in the military. He said, no, not there either, making it clear that he wants to put this to bed. He does not want this to become a broader question of whether or not Republicans are sticking with white nationalists. Sarah? Yeah, hard to put it to bed when you keep getting those same answers from Tuberville. Thank you so much, Lauren Fox, for that update. Appreciate it. Why do you think it is so hard for Senator Tuberville to be clear about that? So it's interesting and good to see you, but you know, here's what's happening. So if you listen to the full interview, for somebody that claims to be very clear spoken, and I'm just going to tell you how I feel, he is twisting his words around to please everybody. So we see a lot of speculation from pundits about why he won't just be clear here, why there is so much obfuscation and evasiveness with everything that he says. And they seem almost shocked that he's doubling and tripling down despite the backlash and condemnation even from fellow Republicans. And I think that all of this confusion is because they don't want to accept the answer that he's giving them. He's doubling down because this is what he believes. He's racist, period, point blank. And I get that they don't want to come out and say that because he's going to accuse them of engaging in identity politics. But I mean, sometimes you've just got to call a spade a spade. And he's given you more than enough insight into his twisted worldview to logically deduce that he is indeed racist. And it's not the first time to be clear that he's made racist comments. And when you take into account the totality of his belief system that we know of, then I think the conclusion is pretty clear. And to his credit, Jake Tapper comes to this point. Senator Tapperville's attempt to distance himself from seeming to be standing up for the rights of white supremacists might be easier to believe if last fall, Senator Tuberville had not made one of the most blatantly racist statements 
we've heard from a U.S. senator in perhaps decades. He falsely suggested that Democrats like crime, and he smeared black people as criminals. Take a listen. Some people say, well, they're soft on crime. No, they're not soft on crime. They're pro-crime. They want crime. They want crime because they want to take over what you got. They want to control what you have. They want reparation because they think the people that do the crime are owed that. Bullshit. They are not owed that. Senator Tomerville there saying that Democrats like crime and they want reparations, which is the term for payments made to individuals who are descendants of slaves, because they think that people that do the crime are owed that. That's just racism. It's just racism, exactly. And the reason why Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, are denouncing his comments is because overt racism is still not acceptable even by the Republican establishment, even if they're racist themselves or are okay with racists, even if a large portion of the base is thirsty for racism. The reason why you have to still use dog whistles and doublespeak when you are engaging in white identity politics is to maintain this facade of respectability in order to attract donations from large multinational corporations. They don't want any controversy for donating to white nationalist politicians, so it is incredibly strategic and savvy for Republicans to try to hide the ball a little bit. But when it comes to Tommy Tuberville, I mean... He's just saying the quiet part loud, and that's not acceptable. That's not lucrative, if we put it in capitalistic terms. So I think that we're not uncharitable to call Tuberville a racist. In fact, if anything, I think that people saying he's not racist would offend him because we all heard him. His feelings are pretty clear, right? Now, I would be remiss to not point out the other reason why he's been grabbing headlines lately. It's not uh, just because of this comment it's because of his opposition to abortion and specifically what he's doing to cut off access to more people huffpost explains senator tommy tuberville's unprecedented hold on military promotions has left the marine corps without a confirmed leader for the first time in 164 years drawing outrage from democrats who say his actions are undermining national security marine corps commandant general david berger officially retired on monday leaving assistant commandant general eric smith as the acting commandant and leader of the military branch until he is confirmed in the Senate. Democrats tried to confirm Smith via a unanimous consent request on Monday, but Tuberville blocked the move in protest of a new Pentagon policy that provides paid leave and reimbursement costs for travel for service members who cross state lines to get an abortion. The policy was enacted after the Supreme Court struck down federal abortion rights and overturned Roe v. Wade. The Alabama Republicans' hold pertains to over 250 of the Pentagon's general and flag officers. In order to approve each promotion, Democrats would need to schedule several votes on the Senate floor, eating up valuable floor time. It would likely take months to process them all, time the Senate simply does not have if it wants to pass appropriation bills and avert a government shutdown this year. So there you have it. If you've been wondering why he's talking about the military so much lately or has been asked so many questions about it, that's basically the backstory and you really don't need to know more than that. But the main conclusion that I want to leave you with is that when people tell you who they are, believe them, especially if they tell you a second time and then a third time and then a fourth time. I mean, there's no point in speculating about whether or not they're confused or just unable to articulate themselves properly. Tuberville is a grown man. He is a politician, right? 
he knows how to speak. You can't chalk this up to stupidity or ignorance. He made it very clear where he stands, and that's with white nationalists. And he's not the only Republican senator, to be clear, who's a white nationalist. But the difference between him and them is that he's willing to admit it. So when people tell you that they are a certain way, listen to them, because I don't think he could be any more clear despite the very convoluted language that he's using to describe his position. How weird is it that when you say pride, yeah. people immediately think of gay? Pride means gay, yeah. How wild is that? Yeah. That they did that. Yeah, they own, like, it's... it's, it's Cain Velasquez has brown pride tattooed on his chest. Yeah. Now people are like, what are you trying to say? He's gay brown. Yeah. What is that? What are you trying to say? You know, <laughs> yeah. it used to be you were proud. Right. No, it, now it's gay. It's It definitely means Wild. queer. Yeah. Pride month. Queer month. I mean, imagine, you don't even have to say gay pride anymore. Yeah. You say pride month. How yeah. insidious. They snuck it in. Yeah. They slowly yeah. took over pride. Like they took over the rainbow. It's Yeah. Rainbows yeah. are, that is, it's so funny to think that University of Hawaii used to have rainbows on their helmets. Can't have it anymore. You just listened to a portion of Joe Rogan's podcast where he bemoaned queers who insidiously took over pride and hijacked rainbows because this is definitely a very serious issue that serious people care about. You know, I think this just goes to show you that rich people have too much time on their hands. When you are so rich like Joe Rogan, when you are a hundred millionaire, you literally have to invent things to be mad about. Otherwise, your life will just be too boring, I guess. But my favorite part about that clip was Tom Segura just sitting there uncomfortably nodding along and then trying to gently move the conversation into less explicitly homophobic territory because I think that he knows. Like, if he pushes back too much here, then he's not going to be invited back on. But also, he doesn't want to appear homophobic. So, you know, defending gay people, getting invited on Joe Rogan's show. It's hard to walk that fine line, but I do believe that Tom Segura straddled the fence perfectly. But when it comes to Joe Rogan, I mean, he's an asshole, right? And watching that tells me that he's just devolved further into being a Fox News grandpa. But it's even worse than that because he even sounds like those whiny evangelicals who are part of the Reclaim the Rainbow movement who accuse the LGBTQ mafia of misappropriating their religious symbol. <laughs> but I mean, at the end of the day, we all know that contrived outrage over the rainbow being stolen is just a more respectable way of saying that they hate gays and they wish that we'd go back into the closet. And the same thing is true for Joe Rogan, right? But we'll come back to that because first I want to discuss how angry he is that gays took over the word pride. Um, now you can argue that the word pride it's become pretty synonymous with, you know, the fight for gay rights. I think that that's fair, sure. But there's also something known as context. And that changes depending on how you use particular words, right? I feel like I shouldn't have to explain this to someone who is twice my age, but regardless, we're going to do it. But first, let's get back to basics. So the definition of pride is a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements or consciousness of one's own dignity. Now, missing from the definition is gay. Now, I feel like it's useless to even go to the definition because Joe Rogan is somebody who lacks common sense and basic reading comprehension. For example, he reacted to an MSNBC article about how the right and the red pill movement is fixated on health and he just responded with something to the effect of what the fuck being healthy is far right now so we're not dealing with the brightest bulb right but the point is that 
pride is used in different contexts still. It's not just a gay word. I mean, I guess if you want to give the word to gays, then we'll take it. But I mean, it's it's still used in a variety of contexts. Like when somebody tells you to swallow your pride, they're not asking you to swallow a cock. They're asking you to check your ego. If somebody says that they're a proud black man, I don't automatically assume that they're coming out of the closet, right? And Joe Rogan might be dumb, but there's at least enough brain cells left in his skull, I hope, to realize this. The problem is that he's irritated with gay visibility and he doesn't want to say it, right? And this is the only way he knows how to articulate that without sounding overly homophobic. But I mean, it's it's a little bit too late. He's He's been going mask off on this issue for years now, so he should just say what he feels. Now, in the lead up to this conversation, he was talking about pride and he pretended to not know why gay people are prideful in the first place while discussing Bud Light and Dylan Mulvaney. And I want to share this clip with you because it gives us a lot of insight into the thinking of Joe Rogan. Not that there's much thinking going on, but like what little thinking that is there, like what little brain activity is there. I do think that this uh, this clip is very insightful. So a lot of like LBGTQ and whatever the other letters are, those bars stopped carrying Bud Light. So it's because really... they felt like Bud Light didn't back them up. And then there was video footage of them sponsoring a pride parade. So it's like a Bud Light parade truck yeah. with a bunch of people dancing around like we like to fuck guys too. And I yeah. like I'm a girl and yeah. I like to fuck girls yeah. like it's whatever it is. It's like they're like dancing around inside this Yeah. So th th now they're advertising in front of the, the pride people and so then the people are like, "Oh, they're fucking doubling down." It's like they can't win. No. That clip took me back. I mean, the limp wrist, that is some old school homophobia. I don't think that I remember seeing that since maybe middle school or elementary school. So that is quite the throwback there. But as you saw, he feigned ignorance about gay pride and suggested that it's just about people boasting about who they like to fuck. But mm, it's a little bit more complicated, right? It's a little bit more nuanced than that, as the kids would say. Unless you are asexual or agender, then you have a sexual orientation and a gender identity. Yes, cis people have gender identities too. But if you're cis and straight, the difference is that you're not shamed because of it. Right. You're not shamed for just being who you are. Gay people and trans people, however, they have been historically discriminated against and shamed because of who they love and who they are. So pride isn't just about, hey, everyone, look at me. I like to fuck the same sex or I like to be the opposite gender. It's about being comfortable in your own skin and being confident enough to be who you are, despite society desperately trying to force you back into the closet. But let's revisit what I said earlier about Joe Rogan hiding the ball. So in a different podcast episode with Theo Vaughn, he bitches about Target's pride displays. And I want to show you uh, what he said about this, because um, also very insightful about what he's thinking. Target lost billions of dollars because they tried to have this pride selection. Oh, yeah. Gay mannequins. Yeah. They, they Well, they had all these like pride children's shirts yeah. and gay children. Yeah. yeah. And then Sorry. obviously the Bud Light thing with Dylan Mulvaney, they've lost 20 plus billion dollars. You imagine you just going to send a can to some confused person that uh day 365 of womanhood and you send that person a can with their face on and your company loses 20 billion dollars that is wild man 
So we're seeing that now where yeah. we never saw that before, where people are going, enough, right? enough. Stop shoving this down everybody's throat. When I go to Target, I don't want to see, like, yeah, tuck pants where you, like, they're designed to help you tuck your dick. Like, hey, that's not normal. And I don't want that right in front of everybody. First of all, calling a trans person confused is explicitly transphobic. I mean, gay people were called confused too, right? When I came out, my family said that I was going through a phase. So if you can extrapolate that and apply it to trans people, it's the same argument, same bigoted playbook. And it's ironic because Joe Rogan is literally receiving gender affirming care himself in the form of steroids. See, this is the double standard because when middle-aged men put, let's say, Rogan on their scalps, they're not confused. That gender affirming care is perfectly fine, but when trans people receive gender affirming care, when they start using different pronouns and different clothing, well, they're confused. It's a double standard and it's transphobia, period. That's all it is. And I think that what bothers him is that you can tell that they're not confused. Trans people, especially Dylan Mulvaney, who he's talking about, seem pretty confident with who they are right? You just don't want them to be comfortable and happy. You don't like that. It makes you unhappy. But the main point is that he feels like all of this LGBTQ plus stuff is being shoved down his throat and he doesn't want to see it. He doesn't want to see tuck-friendly swimsuits, for example, at the stores. And Theo Vaughn, his guest, went along with it. And every single Joe Rogan guest should feel deeply insulted by that invite because Understand that he is bringing you on specifically because he knows that you're a beta cuck and you're never going to disagree with anything that he says or push back too hard. So if I got an invite from uh, from Joe Rogan, if I were Theo Vaughn, I'd take that as an insult. It's the same as, oh, are you calling me stupid? Because that's effectively what it is. But I mean, that clip, it demonstrates what I mean when I say that Joe Rogan is hiding the ball. He is homophobic. He is transphobic, but he doesn't want to say it. When you're to the point where LGBTQ plus visibility triggers you and you have to say, oh my God, I don't want to see it. I mean, you're like one step away from just saying the quiet part loud that you hate them and you want them to go back into the closet. I mean, imagine how silly it would sound if gay people or trans people said the same thing. Like imagine if a trans person was like, I am so sick and tired of seeing cis people in every single movie. Imagine if I said, I'm so sick of all these straight sex scenes that I see in every single TV show. Yesterday, I saw a straight couple hold hands. Why are they trying to shove it down my throats? Like imagine how stupid it would sound if I said something like that. But you see, I don't say something like that. One, because I'm an adult, and two, because I don't actually hate straight people and cis people. I'm not bothered by their existence. There's no visceral reaction when I see a straight couple kissing. It doesn't turn me on, but it's not like I'm like, oh my God, ew, because that's some baby shit. Joe Rogan, however, you know, he he's just too much of a pussy, or should we call him a bonus hole, to say what he really thinks. He hates us, he hates queer people but he doesn't want to say it. But Joe, we know what you're thinking. So just say it with your full chest. Don't be a fucking pussy. Just say you hate gay people, say you hate trans people, and say you want them all to go away. Just say it, you fucking bonus hole. We know that he's thinking it, but he just won't say it. I mean, I, for one, I'm so sick and tired of seeing Joe Rogan everywhere. Every time I log into Twitter, there's another Joe Rogan clip. Every time I'm on Spotify, there's Joe Rogan's podcast right there. But I'm not going to beat around the bush and just complain about how much Joe Rogan I see. I'm gonna come out and just say I fucking hate Joe Rogan because I do, and even if I don't say that, it's evident that my feelings are that, even if I don't explicitly say it. But Joe Rogan won't say the same thing about queer people because he's a coward. If every single word that you speak about queer people 
oozes with disdain and hate and spite, I think it is patronizing to just pretend that you're totally cool with the queers when it's obvious that you hate us. You've made your feelings known a long time ago, right? You went mask off years ago. But I mean, I should be clear. I don't think that this is some sort of a calculation. I don't think that Joe Rogan is making this savvy choice to like use coded words to be homophobic because he's he's stupid, right? I think that he actually does think that he is an ally to gay people, and maybe he doesn't feel in his heart that he hates them, even if he's very deeply bothered by their existence. But I think that he believes that just supporting basic civil rights, like marriage equality, for example, that's sufficient to make him an ally. Like, I actually think he's stupid enough to believe this. But you can't be an ally or you can't even support us if you're both sides in this issue. I mean, in the span of a couple of years, he's been on both sides of LGBTQ plus issues. I mean, he supported DeSantis's don't say gay law. And then months later, he subsequently condemned Republicans for being against gay marriage. He also talked about how Republicans should leave gay people alone. But yet you're supporting their crusade against gay people. He also drank Bud Light following the hysteria over Dylan Mulvaney, but then attacked Dylan Mulvaney because she's confused, according to him. I mean, it's this Weasley way of of giving yourself plausible deniability so that way when somebody accuses you of being homophobic or transphobic you can simply point to the times when you weren't as evidence that you're not but i mean there's really no both sides in these types of civil rights issues regardless if it's explicit or implicit or overt or implied bigotry is still bigotry and he can try to hide the ball and cloak his disdain for queer people in disingenuous language and disingenuous rants about target but at the end of the day, we all know where he stands. He is complicit in spreading anti-LGBTQ plus bigotry and any guest who just comes on that show and nervously sits there while he's explicitly condemning the queer community, throwing an entire community under a bus. If you don't call it out, you're complicit. And Tom Segura and uh, Theo Vaughn, they were complicit there. So either way, Joe Rogan is a moron and he's also a coward. Well, my friends, we've got another instance where Republicans may be made a little bit of an oopsie. And it's just so crazy to me how this just keeps happening again and again. If you'll recall, a couple of weeks ago, the Hamilton County chapter of Moms for Liberty, I guess, accidentally happened to feature a Hitler quote on the front page of their newspaper. And now just, uh, you know, Weeks later, we have multiple Arizona Republican Party officials having to come out and publicly distance themselves from an event where neo-Nazi Nick Fuentes was the keynote speaker. So here's the flyer for the event in question scheduled to take place on July 30th. And as you can see, it's an event organized by the Arizona College Republicans United Group, and it prominently features Nick Fuentes as the guest speaker, along with Jake Chansley, also known as the QAnon shaman. But on top of that, there's also Ryan Sanchez, a.k.a. Culture War Criminal, who was formerly a member of a neo-Nazi fight club, which is a thing called Rise Above Movement. But I mean, the inclusions, aside from the extremists and the Nazis that should really stand out to you the most, are the official Republican Party organizations that are supposedly affiliated. That includes the Pima County GOP, as well as the Maricopa and Yavapai County GOPs, who are supposedly in support of this event. Yeah, so you have official Republican Party organizations supposedly affiliated with this event where a neo-Nazi Holocaust denier is the keynote speaker. That is not a good look. 
And that's quite the understatement, right? But once the flyer was released and started to circulate on social media, Republican officials from all three of the organizations supposedly affiliated quickly condemned it. For example, the Maricopa County Republican Committee tweeted, the MCRC never authorized, sponsored, or promoted the upcoming July 30th College Republicans United Convention, any placement of MCRC or Maricopa GOP, etc. on anything associated with the CRU event is unauthorized. Now, additionally, Pima County Republican Chairman Dave Smith put out a similar statement saying that they also never authorized the event or agreed to speak at or support this event, and the Yavapai County Republicans basically echoed the same exact sentiment. Now, the question is, how did this happen? Did the Arizona College Republicans United group just lie, or did people within these organizations give them the green light? Well, the accusations are certainly flying, and the paranoia has been ramped up because they're all kind of pointing the fingers at each other, and this has kind of devolved into a hilariously entertaining kerfuffle online. For example, Representative Alexander Colodin responded to the flyer claiming, the GOP committees I have spoken to were surprised to hear it. Whoever is doing this should be treated as a saboteur. And in response to Colodin, Luke Mossyman, who is the chair of the Maricopa County Young Republicans Club, says that an insider told him that it was Brian Ference, who is the Maricopa County member at large, who's the person that okayed the inclusion at least for the Maricopa County GOP on the flyer. However, Ferris chimed in denying that, saying, I'm not authorized to make decisions for the entire MCRC. Just curious who this supposed insider is, or is it like anonymous quote-unquote experts? Now, I find this absolutely hilarious because you have a bunch of hyper-partisan, conspiratorial Republicans all scrambling to place blame on someone other than themselves, and they're all pointing the fingers at each other, and they're getting increasingly conspiratorial, talking about saboteurs and insiders, Insiders. And even though we're dealing with deeply unserious imbeciles, I do have to give them credit for at least being very entertaining. But we're just getting started because College Republicans United decided to bust out the receipts. And in response to the Pima County Republicans saying that they never agreed to speak, College Republicans responded to that tweet saying, GOP has an integrity problem along with a screenshot of an email between them and the Pima County Republican Party's vice chairman, where she says, yes, absolutely. Absolutely, when they asked her to verify that her or someone else was able to speak at the event, and this verification email was a follow-up to them getting the go-ahead in person. So let's pause for a moment, because based on that receipt, it seems as if the Pima County GOP was caught dead to rights. They're lying, right? They confirmed that they would be speaking at the event. This is their second vice chair. However, even though that is true and that email is real, well, they responded, and the response is actually fairly reasonable, at least by Republican standards, right? They're claiming that they were misled by the CRU, and when you hear their side of the story, it's not unreasonable to deduce that, mm, yeah, it seems like CRU didn't really give them the full picture when they talked about this event. Here's the details. The Arizona Mirror reports, quote, this was a setup, Pima County GOP chairman Dave Smith told the Mirror. Smith said that ASU CRU's founder, Rick Thomas, approached Anastasia Tatakis, the party's second vice chairman, at an event and asked if the county party would speak at a college Republicans event. They 
They agreed, and ASU-CRU later followed up with an email sending a flyer that did not list Fuentes or Pima GOP as a sponsor. Quote, we just thought she was going to be a speaker at a Republican conference, Smith said. We were misrepresented to and lied to. Smith said that the ordeal has caught him off guard and created new ways that the county committees will be communicating in the future. That sentiment was echoed by Tatakis, who was listed as a speaker at the event representing the Pima County GOP. This particular activity and behavior where you are sabotaged and set up is completely indescribable to me, Tatakis said. We do not participate in any anti-Semitic anything. This is horrible, and had we known, we would have never committed. So when you hear their side of the story, I don't necessarily think that it is wrong for them to feel like they were being misled. Although before we got their side of the story, I told you that their response was reasonable by Republican standards. And that's because I don't think that they're without fault completely. You know, it's clear that they didn't do their due diligence. Now, they did respond to the CRU and their receipts with their own receipt, and they shared the flyer that was given to them in a Twitter reply saying, actually, you have an integrity problem. This is the attachment that you sent to our second vice chair. She agreed to speak at a GOP event. You sent her a different flyer, not the one you're now promoting. No one agreed to appear with your anti-Semitic white supremacist extremist. Now, if you look at the flyer here closely, there's one very big red flag to me that leads me to conclude that they just didn't do their due diligence here. So even though the quality is terrible, you can still make out the text that says more pending, quote, other speakers redacted due to security. And me personally, if I saw that on a flyer that they sent me as part of an event that I was going to be a part of, I'd be at least a little bit curious. Right? I'd want to inquire more about that, at least for my own personal safety reasons, because if this person is a security threat or there's threats to them, well, I think that it's important to know how that's going to affect myself or the other speakers potentially. So the fact that they weren't curious enough to ask, that is a failure on their part. And it's also a failure on their part because they're working with this group for this event that in the past has had ties to Nick Fuentes' white nationalist movement. And these ties have been known and open for years. But I mean, maybe those Republicans within these organizations just didn't know that. But I mean, you probably should have known that, right? If you are part of the official GOP in your county, then I think that it is incumbent on you to know who you're coordinating with, who you are organizing with. Either way, it does seem like the college Republicans were being overly coy because they knew that the presence of an out and proud neo-Nazi might be a little bit too controversial, to put it mildly, but they got into more of a back and forth on Twitter, and this exchange, as you can see, is deeply unhinged. So CRU responded to that tweet from Pima Republicans saying, the flyer changed multiple times since mid-June. Speakers have been added and taken off the list several times because because of hard feelings about one or more speakers before Fuentes was even thought of. Guilt by association has been a leftist mindset that GOP has now adopted. Yes, because not wanting to be associated with Nazis is a very lefty mindset. Pima responded saying, values and principles matter. If you can't denounce an anti-Semitic racist, you might belong in the Democratic Party, which is just, again, fucking wild. Now CRU responded to that saying, but doing things with the log cabin Republicans and other homosexuals that's okay for pima gop your big tent is degenerate that exchange to me is hysterical because on one hand you have the cru saying oh you're doing this guilt by association game that the leftists are doing but then they're like this shoe with the log cabin republicans <laughs> 
which is guilt by association. It's just, it's hilarious. Like all of these people are so unserious that I, I can't look at this and not find it just incredibly entertaining. Like to see them bicker back and forth, I say let them fight. Now, whether or not these Republicans, the official Republicans, not the Nazis, although, you know, maybe that's a distinction without a difference depending on who you're talking about, but the official party organizations, you know, whether or not they were misled or this was simply a miscommunication, that's up to interpretation. But the problem is these Republicans didn't denounce Nick Fuentes because they felt compelled to take a principled stand against neo-Nazis and anti-Semitism, as they said. Let's be clear, they did it because that's what was politically expedient. Because in an op-ed for AZ Central, E.G. Montini explains, while Arizona Republicans proclaim how grievously offended they are to have been linked in any fashion to Nick Fuentes, a number of their most high-profile members are linked to him proudly. Republican State Senator Wendy Rogers, for example, was a proud speaker at Fuentes' America First Political Action Conference in Florida last year, where she called the white nationalists in attendance patriots and promoted hanging enemies. Then, there's Republican U.S. Representative Paul Gosar, who has also attended a Fuentes event and defended Fuentes on the right-wing social networking site Gab, saying the phony January 6th committee's partisan witch hunt continues as they have now set their sights on young conservative Christians like Nick Fuentes. This is pure political persecution, and it has to stop. You might remember as well that Gosar and fellow Republican Representative Andy Biggs were among 26 members of the House Oversight and Accountability Committee who refused to sign a pledge to announcing white nationalism and white supremacy, as well as the kooky but widespread great replacement theory that says non-white individuals are being brought into the United States to replace white voters. And there's the state Republican Party's most high-profile member, losing governor candidate Carrie Lake. She not only endorsed Gosar, but said of him, Congressman Gosar is the GOAT. We need strong America First patriots like Gosar at every level of government. Yeah, and therein lies the problem, right? Publicly distancing yourself from a high-profile neo-Nazi, that's one thing. But tolerating the anti-Semitism that is rampant within your sphere of politics, in your Republican Party institutions, that just makes you complicit if you don't also combat that. And let's be clear, if Nick Fuentes weren't such a high-profile neo-Nazi, odds are these Republican organizations would have no problem with him speaking alongside them. Because it's not the views that he espouses that make them uncomfortable. It's the political fallout that they're really scared of, right? It's the backlash to being associated with him that frightens them, not his views. And if they really were ignorant about him and this organization's affiliation with Fuentes' griper movement, then don't you think that this whole kerfuffle would be a wake-up call? And I say this because, as Stop Anti-Semitism reports, this entire event ended up getting shut down by the venue itself due to Nick Fuentes' inclusion. And if you look at the replies, which you never should, I mean, you can see that it is just deeply, deeply anti-Semitic, and all of these anti-Semites are being floated to the top since they pay for Twitter Blue. Shouldn't all of this, shouldn't the constant oopsies that they keep having make them a little bit uncomfortable, lead to them realizing, hmm, it's weird how so many neo-Nazis are prominent within the same political circles that I run in. I mean, think about it from your perspective. If you're a DSA member, right, and your local chapter frequently hosted events with neo-Nazi speakers and it kept happening again and again and again, I mean, wouldn't that at least give the ordinary person pause 
and get them to reevaluate their association with that particular organization. I mean, if I was part of an organization and they kept getting linked to neo-Nazis, either wittingly or unwittingly, that would horrify me. It'd get me to not just reevaluate the people who I associate with, it'd get me to rethink my values. Because if all these people who share my values and political goals keep getting radicalized into Nazism, then maybe that tells me I'm on the wrong path. And the fact that these Republicans aren't being introspective presumably tells me that they're either dumb or complicit. Because regardless, if your political movement is wittingly or unwittingly enabling Nazis, at the end of the day, you're still enabling Nazis, so it's a distinction without a difference. Now, Geiger wants to make clear that she has no problem with LGB members of the community, it's specifically the transgenders, queers, and pronouns that she says she takes issue with. It's been less than two weeks since the Supreme Court legalized discrimination against LGBTQ plus people for creative businesses, and a bigoted salon owner from Michigan is already taking advantage of that decision. As the Kansas City Star explains, the owner of a Michigan hair salon said she is refusing service to some members of the LGBTQ plus community. Christine Geiger, who owns Studio 8 Hair Lab in Traverse City, said in a Facebook post she is exercising her free speech by only allowing certain customers. Quote, if a human identifies as anything other than a man or woman, please seek services at a local pet groomer, the hair salon owner said. You are not welcome at this salon, period. The Facebook page was later deleted, and the salon's Instagram was set to private. In the biography for the business on Instagram, the owner says it does not cater to woke ideologies. The post came days after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled 6-3 that under the First Amendment, a web designer could refuse to make a website for same-sex marriages based on her religious beliefs. In March, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer signed legislation that prohibits discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. Now, the legislation that Governor Whitmer signed in March that the article just referenced is the state essentially codifying a decision from the state Supreme Court to expand the state's Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act to include LGBTQ plus people. But we'll get to that in a moment here. But basically, getting back to Christine Geiger, her mentioning the First Amendment and her right to discriminate under the First Amendment, I think that is a clear reference to the Supreme Court's decision that legalized just that. And this is exactly what many of us expected to happen. If discrimination is limited to creative businesses, if it's supposedly so narrow, then the question is, what constitutes a creative business? And that's something that Gorsuch, in his majority opinion, did not define. So the question is, if a hairstylist refuses to serve a trans woman on grounds that giving her a feminine hairstyle is like tantamount to endorsing her trans identity, and thus tantamount to pro-trans speech that she disagrees with, can that stylist declare that service is compelled speech and discriminate? Well, I mean, it's hard to say for sure, but based on the guidelines established by the Supreme Court, it does seem like that is permissible, or at least it's reasonable to deduce that that is permissible. Now, the stylus was uh, review bombed on Yelp, and in response to one of the reviewers, she offered some clarifications about her position, and I think that she believes this is going to make her look like less of an asshole, but it does not. So she writes, 
LGB are more than welcome. However, the rest of it is not something I support. This stance was taken to ensure that clients have the best experience, and I am admitting that since I am not willing to play the pronoun game or cater to requests outside of what I perceive as normal, this probably isn't the best option for that type of client. There are over 800 licensed stylists in that county. There are plenty of salons and stylists willing to cater to what I will not. Hmm. Very curious. She says that she's not going to play the pronoun game, but in that entire paragraph, she used pronouns multiple times by saying, I am not going to play the pronoun game. You are playing the pronoun game, Christine. And this justification is embarrassing. So she's admitting that she is only a little bit hateful, right? Or she's selective in her hatred. She doesn't hate all LGBTQ plus people, just some of them. I think that she honestly believes that that makes her look better. But imagine if somebody said, look, I don't hate all non-white people, just some of them. It'd be pretty obvious what's happening, right? That person is clearly racist. Furthermore, how does denying service to clients who state their pronouns improve the service for other clients? That doesn't really make sense, right? Is your base of clients that transphobic? I mean, what if other customers don't want to be around Jewish customers and they're anti-Semitic. Are you going to remove the Jewish customers to improve the experience of the anti-Semitic clients that you have? See, this is why opening the door to discrimination is wrong. Because you allow for these types of situations where innocent people are discriminated against for just trying to live their lives. Now, in a deleted Facebook post that was shared by a local page in that area, Christine reiterated many of the same points, but added some additional thoughts. She says, I have no issues with LGB. It's the TQ plus that I'm not going to support. For those that don't know what the plus is for, it's MAP, minor attracted person, AKA pedophile. Now further down, she says, conservatives need to acclimate these woke individuals to their new reality. Conservatives have had enough of their ideologies being projected onto us. We used to just let them be. Most of us kept our opinions to ourselves. I mean, why look for unnecessary conflict, right? Well, the other side used this against us. They mistook our silence for weakness and look where it got us. It is very evident that this person lives in a bigoted bubble. So in her view, allowing queer people to live their lives has supposedly opened the door to societal acceptance of pedophiles. That's what she's saying, essentially, but who accepts pedophiles? I mean, she's saying that, but there's no evidence for this claim. There's no evidence that queer people have embraced maps, and that's because we have not. I can assure you that is not part of the LGBTQ plus community. Rather than doing a quick Google search, however, to learn that the plus references intersex people, asexual people, non-binary people, pansexual people, she assumed that it means pedophiles, but it does not. So she's basing discrimination on her stupidity, on her misinformed views about the LGBTQ plus community. But I mean, it's dumber than that, right? Because she's not even explicitly saying that trans people are pedophiles. She's just simply saying, incorrectly so, that the plus signifies pedophilia. So if the T just means T and the plus means pedophiles and you don't actually think that trans people are pedophiles, then really what this boils down to is that she just doesn't like trans and non-binary people and she wants to discriminate against them. She can try to attach other justifications that make her seem more reasonable to it, but at the end of the day, 
this is discrimination, pure and simple. And she's probably always felt this way, but because of the Supreme Court, she now feels bold enough to implement this policy and explicitly say trans people are not welcome in this establishment. Now, prior to that Supreme Court decision, this was illegal in her state, but not for the reason she thinks. So let's go to her original post. This is a little bit redundant because we already read what she said in the article, but basically in her original post where she announced that her business would be discriminating. So she says that she'll be discriminating, quote, regardless of Michigan House Bill 4474. Now that is in reference to a law that passed Michigan's House in June. And what that would do is it would expand the state's Ethnic Intimidation Act to include sexual orientation and gender identity. Now, the Ethnic Intimidation Act essentially makes racist harassment and intimidation a hate crime, right? So it makes it a more serious offense. And the expansion to queer people would legally classify intentional and repeated misgendering of trans people as a hate crime as well. Now, she told a local news outlet that her decision to discriminate was in response to that bill, which has not yet become a law, but that's her response, so let's watch. 9 and 10 News reached out to the owner, Christine Geiger, and she told us she's taking a stand against being forced to use preferred pronouns such as they, them, he, him, and she, her. And she says it's in reference to recent legislation that passed the state house that would make it a felony for people to intimidate or threaten others by disrespecting their gender identity. For example, by deliberately misgendering them. Geiger says the legislation goes too far on infringing her rights. Now, that bill is not yet a law, and whether or not she knows that is beside the point. And I'm assuming that she was worried about that law due to the fear-mongering surrounding that particular law in the same way we saw people like Jordan Peterson fear-monger over Canada's C-16 bill. And there were these hyperbolic claims that if that law or if that bill became a law, then it would lead to people going to jail for misgendering trans people. But that didn't happen. Zero people have been arrested since that became law. And this, if it passes, is pretty similar. But I mean, we're talking about repeated targeted harassment. If you are terrorizing this community and misgendering them intentionally, then that is tantamount to a hate crime. Like if you just make a mistake and you misgender someone, so long as you're not repeatedly doing it and harassing them and doing it to be malicious, you're going to be fine. But I mean, I, I'm assuming that this is something that she was... Uh, worried about because of fear-mongering and misinformation. But regardless of uh, whatever the state law is currently, you know, it doesn't matter because she's very much aware at least that the Supreme Court recently legalized discrimination in a more narrow sense, which does undo progress that the state made just last year. So I think that that requires more explanation because in 2022, the Michigan Supreme Court expanded the state's Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act referenced earlier, and that now includes LGBTQ plus people. It protects them from discrimination in employment and housing. And that is what technically made it illegal to discriminate in the state of Michigan. But because of the Supreme Court's decision, well, now that law has a massive exception. As Rose White of MLive explains, a U.S. Supreme Court decision last month created an exclusion in anti-discrimination laws around the country. The decision struck a chord as expanding gay rights have faced pushback from conservative Christians, but it also trumps Michigan's recently expanded Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act that protects LGBTQ people from discrimination. The Michigan Supreme Court last year issued a ruling in the opposite direction of the Supreme Court when it decided sex 
sexual orientation is covered by the state civil rights law that bans discrimination in employment, housing, education, and public accommodations. But there is now an exception for free speech. Now, Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel said this in response to the Supreme Court's decision. Quote, this holding has no impact on Michigan's Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act when it is applied to protect against discrimination in the provision of public accommodations that do not constitute speech. And so the reason why HB 4474 is relevant once again is because it would theoretically close the exception created by the Supreme Court. But if that were to become law, that would automatically conflict with the Supreme Court's decision and it would trigger legal challenges immediately. So she still has quite a bit of time to discriminate right before this is revisited. And I don't assume that the makeup of the Supreme Court is going to change anytime soon. So even if in her state they say, no, you actually can't discriminate when it comes to this limited area. Well, I mean, she's still going to have the ability to do that. But regardless of where Christine thinks that she can derive this authority from, she's not going to be the last person to do it. Like this is going to become a more common phenomenon. This is only the beginning because when you open the door to discrimination, bigots are going to discriminate. And I'm assuming that we're going to see the word creative and how it applies to businesses get stretched and completely bastardized as more bigots try to legally justify explicit discrimination. And it's just... <laughs> It's depressing, right? It's really sad to see, but it's exactly what we expected. The Supreme Court tried to allow discrimination in a narrow sense, but you can't really do that. You can't, you just, when you open the door to that, it's very difficult when there's a lot of gray area that hasn't been defined by the Supreme Court. So who is and isn't in a creative business? Is a subway sandwich artist part of a creative business? Is somebody who details your car part of a creative business that can discriminate against queer people? We don't know, but we're going to learn because I'm assuming that these cases are going to continue to pop up and they will be challenged legally. And this is just something that didn't need to happen, but because the Supreme Court decided that discrimination should be permitted, well, now it's happening. You've done a great job pushing back against woke. We know that, but I'm wondering what's going on with your campaign. There was a lot of optimism about you running for president earlier in the year. But here's this weekend's headline from the Politico playbook. Failure to launch Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's campaign <laughs> to topple Donald Trump has stalled. We are way behind, says a top DeSantis PAC official sounding the alarm. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> that was Ron DeSantis's reaction to Fox News host Maria Bartiromo asking him about his flailing 2024 presidential campaign. And we're going to get to his full response in a moment here. But first, I just want to give you some additional context because her framing doesn't adequately portray just how badly he's doing currently. So according to Real Clear Politics polling averages, DeSantis is more than 30 points behind Donald Trump and he's trending downward. Now he's trailing Trump in early primary states as well by double digits on average, 24 points in Iowa and 26 points in New Hampshire, for example. And he was also 50 points behind Trump, according to a Fox News poll conducted between June 23rd and June 26th, and is only able to capture support from, get this, 14% of GOP voters 
under 45. Ouch. But most humiliating is the fact that he is 20 points behind Trump in his own home state of Florida, according to Florida Atlantic University's Main Street, Paul Calm Lab. And again, it's still early, but I don't think that things will improve for DeSantis. In fact, I think things are going to continue to get worse because the more he speaks, the less people want to hear from him. Whereas with Trump, being back in the spotlight has very clearly helped his campaign despite multiple indictments and scandals. But it's evident that DeSantis is still in denial. So uh, I want to listen to his answer because he is trying to cope by claiming that really this whole narrative that he's failing, it's a media phenomenon. Let's listen. <laughs> oh, Maria, these are narratives. The media does not want me to be the nominee. I think that's very, very clear. Why? Because they know I'll beat Biden. But even more importantly, they know I will actually deliver on all these things. We will stop the invasion at the border. We'll take on the drug cartels. We'll curtail the administrative state. We'll get spending under control. We'll do all the things that they don't want uh, to see done. And so they're going to continue doing uh, the type of narrative. I can tell you, uh, we understand this is a state-by-state -state process. Uh, we've had incredible support um, in the early states building an organization, signing up the key people that you need to be able to compete in a place like Iowa. We just launched our Mamas Movement. My wife was in Iowa with Governor Kim Reynolds launching that. Parents, and particularly moms, I think are going to be the secret weapon, both in this primary and in the general election. Uh, nobody has been a better champion for those folks uh, than me. And I would just also point out, you know, my reelection in Florida, we had the greatest victory that any Republican governor candidate in the history of the state had. And yet a few months before the election, I had media saying that somehow my reelection campaign was stalling, that we weren't mm. doing anything. And so we're doing what it takes to win. It's not a national primary. That's not how these things are going. Uh, it's really on the ground in those key states. You got to have the organization. You got to have do it. So that's what we focused on. And oh, by the way, we just announced last week uh, better fundraising than any non-incumbent has ever had. Uh, if you look at what was reported, it was about $150 million, and that hasn't even been deployed yet. So we've got a long way to go. I'm looking forward to being able to participate uh, in the debates. Uh, but this is not something that, um, you know, I ever expected to just snap fingers and all of a sudden, you know, you win seven months before anyone happens. You got to earn it and you got to yeah. work. And it requires a lot of toil and tears and sweat. And we're going to do that. I mean, it's possible that things do change between now and Iowa. But in order for him to make up that big of a deficit, he needs to start gaining ground right now, immediately. We need to see a massive shift, but that's just not happening, right? Now, things can change fast, sure, but the problem is that he's falling further behind. And what the polling tells us is that he peaked. And I don't, I don't know what to say about that. That's just not changing currently, right? There's no indicators that he's going to start doing better. And his argument is extremely disingenuous. So he basically says, oh, these are narratives. The media does not want me to become the nominee, which is such a wild thing for him to say of all people, because conservative media absolutely wants him to be the nominee. They are 100% in the tank for DeSantis, pretty openly so. I mean, you have Rupert Murdoch's entire media empire going to bat for him 
but he's claiming, nope, the entire media is against me. Okay, well, let's look at some headlines. So this is from Mediaite in July of 2022. Fox News posts stunning three-minute montage of Trump voters ready to ditch him for DeSantis. Quote, he's too polarizing. Keep in mind, this was before the 2022 debacle when Trump endorsed candidates harmed the broader GOP's electoral efforts. Also, this is from the New York Post. De future, young GOP star DeSantis romps to victory in Florida. This was their headline after last year's midterms. Now, there were numerous reports about how Murdoch's media empire had turned on Trump after the 2022 election, and that was obviously to DeSantis's benefit. And to be fair, I think that they're more anti-Trump than they are pro-DeSantis, but that doesn't change the fact that right-wing propagandists are desperately trying to goad conservatives into supporting DeSantis over Trump since he's seen as the more electorally viable option. And it's not just Fox News who has turned against Trump to DeSantis's benefit. So when Trump was at his weakest in November, do you notice how a bunch of Daily Wire hosts started to conspicuously pounce on him? For example, Candace Owens, a Trump sycophant, decided to attack Donald Trump. Obviously, who does this benefit? It benefits DeSantis. Now, they've since platformed DeSantis and have given him the opportunity to respond to Trump's attacks. So this man has multiple media outlets in the tank for him, and yet he's still claiming that the media doesn't want him to win. I mean, no other candidate has this benefit, and you do, but you're still flailing. And guess what? In response to him awkwardly laughing about how bad he's doing, uh, do you want to know who defended him? Media. Because the media, believe it or not, they love Ron DeSantis and they want him to win. So here's what Fox News mainstream media said in response to that awkward interview. And speaking of spending, uh, the governor also brought up the fact that he's got $150 million in his campaign war chest that he has not touched. And he said that he's looking forward to the debates. And keep in mind, it's still early, months and months and months before people start voting. Oh, but media hates me so much. Aren't they so biased against me? Woe is me. I'm a victim. If you are going to push this victim complex, you have to come up with evidence that the media hates you. You can say that liberal media does not like you because that would be accurate. But when it comes to a GOP primary, Republican Party voters, Republican primary voters don't care what MSNBC says. They don't even care what CNN says. They care about what conservative media says and conservative conservative media, they like DeSantis. They're in the tank for DeSantis. They are desperately trying to prop up the corpse of his campaign so he beats Donald Trump. So, no, they don't hate him. They are desperately trying to prop him up so he defeats Trump, but it's not working, right? But what does he do? He blames media for pointing out these flaws because it's it's a little bit – if you have Ron DeSantis on and you don't ask him this question, then – you, you kind of look foolish, right? So in order to at least maintain plausible deniability in the eyes of Republican primary voters, they've got to ask this question, right? Because Republican primary voters, Fox News viewers, they want Donald Trump to win. So they have to at least try to uphold this facade of legitimacy, right? But because they dare to ask that question, DeSantis thinks he's the victim. Amazing. Now, DeSantis referred to the fact that his campaign is flailing as a narrative. But I mean, first of all, I think that the polling speaks for itself, right? Sure, you can use polls to cultivate narratives in media, but we're not talking about these media outlets cherry picking one poll where DeSantis is doing really, really bad. We're talking about an average of polls that show he is doing 
terrible. Second of all, let's actually look at the Politico article that he was asked about because they're simply parroting what a spokesperson for DeSantis's own super PAC said during a Twitter Spaces event. So to the extent that it is a narrative, it's a narrative being created by DeSantis's own people. Quote, right now in national polling, we are way behind. I'll be the first to admit it, said Steve Cortez. This is the top spokesperson, by the way, for DeSantis's super PAC. This is what he said in Twitter Spaces. Uh, and it was a, an event that was recorded on Sunday night. Keep in mind, this is from July 3rd. Uh, I believe in being blunt and honest, it's an uphill battle, but clearly Donald Trump is the runaway frontrunner. Calling the DeSantis campaign the clear underdog, he added, in the first four states which matter tremendously, polls are a lot tighter, which we are still clearly down. We're down double digits. <laughs> we have work to do. <laughs> so he's trying so hard to be charitable, but still not a great look. When asked about his comments, Cortez responded in an email that Trump has debated through two successive presidential cycles. So, of course, he possesses a lot of experience in that arena. But I am convinced that Governor DeSantis will outperform expectations and inform large audiences about his amazing life, political record and winning agenda for the presidency. How dare the top spokesperson for Ron DeSantis's main super PAC uh, parrot this narrative that they're not doing good, even if that is objectively true. Now, I think that that last sentence there tells you exactly why they're doing so poorly. They are so out of touch with just regular voters, even Republican primary voters, right? Because he said that once voters learn about DeSantis's amazing life, that was one of the things that he said would captivate voters. That's when they're really going to love him. What? Who cares about how amazing Ron DeSantis's life is? I mean, do you, do you think that the people who are struggling to buy groceries and pay rent care that candidates have amazing lives? That's such a weird thing to say. I don't even know how to analyze that, right? They're so out of touch. And to be clear, Republican primary voters are the dumbest people in the country, but even they want you to, to at least sprinkle in like a little bit of kitchen table issues, right? Like taxes, Social Security, which is something that DeSantis just has not done and Trump has done, right? Hyper fixating on woke can only get you so far because to average Republicans, they expect the fascism. They expect the attacks on marginalized communities that comes with the territory, right? So. If it comes down to this question of, well, who's going to attack minorities the most, then I don't think that that is space that's going to gain you the most ground because it's a, it's a matter of yes and, right? Yes, you hate LGBTQ people. And what else? What are you going to do for me? And DeSantis is just like, well, I hate them the most. But that's not enough even for G GOP primary voters. But I hope that DeSantis continues to flail. I hope that he continues to not speak to economic issues and not even pretend to be populist because I actually do think that he is more capable and evil than Donald Trump. And I also think that he's a stronger general election candidate than Trump. And so Trump winning the GOP nomination amid multiple legal scandals is going to hopefully keep Republicans out of the White House for another four years. So in this very limited sense, as a leftist, I am admittedly rooting for Donald Trump in the GOP primary. I want him to win, and I hope that he does. Now, at this point, it looks like he, he will, right? But again, things can change. Uh, the problem is that there needs to be a lot of things that happen in order for it to change, right? Basically, every single other GOP candidate besides DeSantis needs to drop out and endorse DeSantis, but they probably won't do that because ego. 
Um, or he can try to work really hard in Iowa and try to pull off an upset and create a bandwagon effect. Things can change based on that too. But it doesn't look like they will, and I hope that they don't. Because the faster that DeSantis's brand of fascism becomes a losing strategy for Republicans electorally, the better off I think that we'll all be. So I honestly hope that he continues to eat shit and will enjoy watching him face plant at every step of the way. Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. You'll get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.